everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Hello. Y'all just missed the noon NATO. We did. We had the noon tornado sirens. Uh, if you are not from, I would say, just the Midwest, you probably don't know, but we have uh, giant sirens that go off anytime there's a tornado or... What are the other scenarios? Mostly tornadoes. Those are tornado sirens. They are, but can't they, isn't there another way? It's like tornado is this sound, and then there's like national emergency. Don't, don't they use them for those? Oh, not to my knowledge, but I, I could be wrong. Anyway, if there's a tornado, they blow the sirens and you will hear it. So they test them every Saturday at noon to make sure they are in working, uh, functioning condition. And we're used to it, always have been. If you're not from this area, you're going to be like, what is happening right now? Right, because it, it sounds very ominous. It's... The closest thing... The closest right. thing that I can think <laughs> of is like raid sirens, like you yeah. see in like World War II movies. Oh, that's when exactly the... what it sounds like is raid sirens. And so if you're not used to that, you might freak out a little, but we're used to it. We had to wait on that to stop so we could start recording. We were right. like, we're ready to go. Like, oh, there's the new Literally, NATO. Delton was about to hit record and it goes... And then it came back because it <laughs> does it like uh, does it two times. Go, it, it winds up and then winds down and then winds up again. And uh, yeah, so that happened. But yes, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number ninety eight. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role playing games, things of that sort, and tornado sirens. And apparently now tornado sirens, and we like to talk about beer on the show because uh, we indulge in the occasional beer. We do, and today we have a beer from Elk Valley Brewing Company. Delty, what do we have? I'm going to pour it first since I opened it, so then I can move the bottle around more freely. It is a Belgian-style beer, and you can tell this by the fancy bottle. I feel like a lot of fancy Belgian-style beers have that little bubble neck in the bottle. They really do. A lot of times, too, uh, they have the cork and cage. There's a certain term for that cage. Like, it has a specific name. I cannot remember it for the life of me. Beer cage. Also, this is a strange fact for the podcast. It's not often that we have a glass bottle of beer. 90% oh, of the time, yeah, that's they're, right. 90% of the time, it's cans. That is very true. And our second beer for the episode is a can. Yeah. Spoiler alert. While you're pouring that, you want me to do my tornado siren impression again? Uh, please don't. I think twice is enough for the listener's ears and mine. Well, now they get the full Oklahoma experience. No, no, yeah, they had twice. That's good. Yeah. So this is from Elk Valley Brewing Co., local here to Oklahoma. I'm holding my glass 18 inches away from my face, and I smell it already. Yeah. That is a stout, strong smelling beer. It is beer. 9.7% alcohol by volume. Blessed. It is called the Catechumens, is how I'm going to pronounce that. Catechumens. I don't know what it means. It's catechumens. You're just making stuff up. No, I'm not. Yes, I was, you I'm are. recovering Catholic. Okay, well, anyway, it's a Belgian-style triple. Yeah, look it up, because I don't trust you. Uh, there's no other things on here except that it's a Belgian-style triple at that 9.7% alcohol by volume, which means this is one hefty beer. A catechumen is a Christian convert under instruction before baptism, a young Christian preparing for confirmation. The heck? What is a catechumen in the Catholic Church? One receiving instruction in the principles of the Christian religion with a view to baptism or, depending on the Catholic Church, to confirmation. Okay, well, there you go. 
Because you know what? I was a young whippersnapper catechumen at one point, went through two years of instruction before I was confirmed in the Catholic Church and then ran like hell. Okay, well, that makes sense then. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully this beer's not one we're running from, so. Uh, mm. In terms of look, it's got, mine is a little cloudier than Haley's. I think I got more of the sediment on the bottom. I think you did too. Which is fine. It's got a nice, uh, a dark, I'm going to say it's like a like an amber honey color. Not super bright yellow, but it's not necessarily golden, but it's like an in-between. It smells a little sour. Very strongly. There is a hop in there. I can't put my finger on the hop profile. You know what it smells like? Hmm. You know those gummy lifesavers, like the weird, opaque, yellow, white ones? Yeah. That's what it smells like. A little bit. Ooh, it tastes like candy. It's so it, sweet. It tastes like those lifesavers. What the heck? That's not a wow. standard Belgian triple, I what feel. What the but... hell? It tastes like the little... So... You guys know Lifesavers, and they have, like, the gummy ones that you get around Christmas time. And there's that yellow, white, opaque, really, like, it does not look like an appetizing color, but it tastes kind of, I think it's supposed to be pineapple. It's, like, essence of something tropics. Yeah. That's what this tastes like. And it's sweet. It's uh, nice and carbonated, has a good finish. It finishes a little drier than it is up front and in the middle, which is nice. Yeah, I think you're expecting like a big mouthfeel and a big finish, but it cuts off pretty quick. It does. It's pretty gentle. My mouth is watering like crazy. It is a strange sweet flavor. I'm like amazed at how sweet it is. Is your mouth watering like crazy? Mm. Not too much, but it like it, it your mouth gets some saliva after you swallow, and then after that it goes away, but it's so strange cuz most Belgian triples they're light like this, and they're they're strong, but they're normally not this like sweet, sugary tasting to me. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't drink a lot of Belgian triples. I usually go for quads. Quads are where I live in the Belgian world. Right. I feel like the longer you age a triple, the sweeter it gets. So it's like this one's been aged already. It doesn't seem as uh, young. Maybe so. I'm not sure. But I mean, that's a good beer though. And at nine and nine point seven percent, this is too drinkable. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. For being such a strong beer, anybody could just take this and drink it very fast. Well, I guess we should probably get to get to talking. We've been gushing about this beer for like the last five minutes, it feels like. That's okay. I mean, it's, it's what, we, what we do here. Uh, yeah, so I finally got to play in my first Flesh and Blood tournament. First time playing outside the house and only technically my, what, fifth or sixth time playing the game at all? Mm-hmm. Like, single... Because we only played a handful of times here at the house. So that was really cool. I built a deck, took it to Edmund Unplugged, and signed up for their tournament. And uh, did terribly. Lost all four rounds, which is fine. Uh, Learned a lot about how the game plays. The flow of the game became more crisp with people that have been playing it for like, you know, uh, six, seven, eight, nine months now. So that was really nice. And then uh, the community is really awesome. And I told Haley this, that I was surprised. Like, I had... The main guy who runs it, Adam, I had met a time or two through the board game community. Never really spent time with him, but I've interacted with him a couple times and met him several times. But I wore my mask because we're going to be leaving the state next week, and so I didn't want to take any chances there. I was one of two people that were masked at the at the tournament, even though vaccinated. But uh, So he didn't recognize me at first, but the name then clicked, and I think he put it together. Anyway, after uh, after the games and everything, one guy that I played against uh, he played a card, and I was like, man, I was hoping I would have got one of those out of the booster box I opened, but 
I sadly didn't. And I said, that's a card I got to get if I want to make this deck work. And he was like, here, I've got an extra. I don't need that. I'm not playing with. And I was like, dad, you don't have to do that. I mean, the card's only six bucks. But like I offered to pay him and he just gave it to me. Another guy gave me another copy that he had an extra of, of the same card. So now I've got two of the max three I can have for the deck. And then almost everyone from their prize packs from the tournament, they kept like the Majestics, the, the, you know, the expensive cards or the cards they needed. And then they just gave me all the other shit. So I got almost like a whole booster box of cards for free just because they're like, eh, you're new. We have enough cards. We do this every week. And it's like, uh, I just didn't know. I, I told him, I was, you guys have to stop being nice. And so I told Haley, I definitely have to go back now. And it was fun playing, but like the community, everybody was so nice. And you could tell when they re- when I said like, hey, I'm super new. FYI, it might take me a second. And they were all helpful. And they'd point out, here's what I would have done. Teaching me some things about the game, but also like patient with me and my thought processes, kind of pointing out some things that they would have done differently. So it was really nice. It was a learning experience. And honestly, what I told Brian and he agreed, or I guess he mentioned it and that was what I was thinking. Uh, very different than any magic event I've ever been to. Yeah. The magic community has never been that kind and receptive to a newcomer. And uh, walking in blind going, I don't know what to expect, but I I just want to play the game and hopefully it's a good time playing to then come out being like, oh, wow, this is a really nice group. I'll come back and play a lot, hopefully. Uh, Wasn't what I expected. So it was a really good time. Very thankful for everybody giving me all those cards. Um, And so now I have to... I'm going to spend some time today probably sorting them and stuff, but now I'm going to focus on building this deck better and building up a new deck with all the new cards I got. Mm-hmm. So that was the main thing I've done. And you also uh, met one of my old friends there. I did. I met Haley's old, his name's Austin that she went to Europe with like right out of high school. So 10, 10 plus years ago. Yep. God, yes. Tw- uh, 12 years ago this year. Yeah. And he was like, Do you, are you married to Haley? And I was like, the hell is happening? <laughs> Why does everybody know my wife? And he was like, oh, I did this. Uh, we went to Europe. I follow her on Twitter. And uh, I recognized your last name. And we went, wait a minute. And I was like, all right. Why? Why does everybody know? It's all, like anywhere. We could go to any other state. Haley's like, oh, I recognize them. Like our time in San Antonio. When you recognize the dude from your hometown. And I was like, why? Yep. It was we're, my parents' banker. We're eight was- <laughs> hours away. Always. And then when I was walking, so... Thursday night, Delton dropped me off at the coffee shop down the street because the Lost Ogle, who I write for, they were hosting a trivia night um, down the street. And so after trivia night was over, I walked down to the board game shop where Delton was playing and somebody stopped me in the street and said, hey, didn't you used to work and in, in, like do writing inside the, this coffee shop in Edmond? I said, yeah. She goes, who do you write for? I said, the Lost Ogle. Oh my God, I love your writing. I knew I recognized you. That was the first time I've ever been like recognized on the street for my writing. But yeah, all roads lead to Haley. It feels like that's what it feels like for <laughs> sure. Aside from that, I can't think of too much that's happened. Uh, you got your vasectomy. My second vasectomy recovery has gone well. The first few days was worse than the first vasectomy. However, after about four or five days, uh, it started being better than the first vasectomy. So at this point, uh, let me see this coming Tuesday. So after this episode drops, the Tuesday after will be the two week mark. Um, we're recording this Saturday. It is significantly better right now than it was last time. But last time, maybe TMI, I had a bad hematoma that was taking extra care and ibuprofen and heating pad and all this stuff to get rid of. And this time I don't have that issue. So uh, recovery is going better. I'm being more mobile. Very excited about that. Hopefully this time it sticks. 
There's no TMI. We're all friends here. That's true. But we're super excited because we leave out next Saturday uh, to go to Oregon. For Gen Con. Yeah, J-E-N Con for our friend Jennifer, who is a Patreon supporter of this podcast. So thank you, Jennifer. And thanks to our other Patreon backers, Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, and Cliff. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon and keeping our podcast going and improving. But yes, we're going to go get to see Jennifer and her husband, Nick, and their amazing dog, Jasper. And several other friends, I believe we will get to see Alan at least once, which will be nice. And I don't know who else is going to be there, if we know them or not, but it's going to be a good time. It's a very low-key thing, so I'm excited about it. Got my vaccination card, going to be packed with my passport, and be ready to go. I'm really excited. We've played a lot of games online with uh, Jennifer and Nick, Yep. and uh, I was telling my mom that we're going to Oregon. She goes, oh, how do you know them? I said, well... You don't. I've never actually met them in real life. <laughs> so, Mom, I'm meeting strangers from the internet, but they're not really strangers. They are very good friends of ours. And yes, because I've met grateful. Jennifer in person. <laughs> I, I've stayed in a hotel room with Jennifer in person. She's awesome. Have not met her husband, Nick, yet, and you haven't met either one. No. But it's one of those things where, you know, the, I, the friend group we're part of and the fact that we've already met these people, everything's good. I, I feel like I do know them, though. Oh, for sure. And I'm really excited to meet them in real life, and I hope that... Jennifer's a hugger because I want to give her a hug. Well, I'm sure she'll be fine with that as she listens to this and she's like, quit, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we're doing that. Very excited to spend some days in Portland, getting some fun little outings, going hiking, getting to tour the Bob's Red Mill factory, eating a bunch of good food and playing games and just hanging out with people. I just want an IV of Thai Peacock Pad Thai. (laughs) Right. That's just because we like Thai Peacock. Put it in my veins. Exactly. But that's coming up. Yeah, I think that's that's about all. It's been a pretty chill last two weeks because of your second me, but also we've yeah. had a lot of good, happy things happening, a lot of things to look forward to, and we'll be back next episode with some stories. We will. I've done nothing but play on the Switch in the meantime, so not really too much to say, but with all that, let's move into the game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's It's a game. So this game of the episode is... Mombasa. The game of this episode, Mombasa. Uh, this game is published through the U.S. by Eger Spiele. It is designed by Alexander Pfister, one of my faves, if not my fave. Illustrated by Clemens Franz, my fave, and Andreas Risch. Development, rulebook, and layout is Victor Kobilka, and rulebook revision is Neil Crowley. Mombasa is a game that's been sitting on my to-be-played shelf for two years? Two or three I picked it up on, I think, Super Sale at some point or something, and I've always wanted to play it because, again, Alexander Pfister, probably my favorite designer, and I was like, I want to play all of his games because I like all of them so far. Every time I play his games, I feel like I kind of get it. I don't feel like they're overly complex, but I enjoy the things he does that are different, you know, blah, blah, blah. So Mombasa is one that we've had on the shelf and haven't I've wanted to do it on the podcast, but I wanted to wait until what I felt was the right time because Mombasa is one of those games with a theme that can be taken. I guess I'm going to say it is a problematic theme, and depending on the person, it can be a very seriously problematic or a very lightly problematic. It's going to kind of be up to opinion. I got to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say it's kind of up to opinion on how you view it personally. However, I don't think you can say that it is not just in generally some in some way problematic. Does that make any sense at all? It does. And I just have to say from my perspective, 
I am happy that I won, but it felt really bad to win as a colonizer. I did not like that. Which makes sense. So part of the reason that we're doing this uh, game right now, as we'll get to in the topic, is we are potentially getting a retheme. But we will discuss that here coming up. So Mombasa, as it stands for the current version you can buy, is a two to four player game, ranges from an hour, 15 minutes to about an hour and a half. No, I'm sorry, to a little over two hours, like two hours, 10. Our two player game took us like an hour, 35, hour, 36. Uh, Didn't really have to look up many rules. Once we taught it, it's really not too complex of a game to learn. It's just that there's a lot to think about and different paths and ways to take. So Mombasa, uh, I am going to read, because I think we should, the game and history section they put in the rule book, just to give you an idea. It says, in Mombasa, players acquire shares of chartered companies based in Mombasa, Cape Town, St. Louis, and Cairo, which is all in Africa, and spread their trading posts throughout the African continent in order to earn the most money. Chartered companies were associations formed for the purpose of exploration, trade, and colonization, which linked them inextricably to the very dark chapter in human history, global colonialism. This period lasted roughly from the 15th century to the middle of the 20th century and is associated with exploitation and slavery. Although Mombasa is loosely set within this time frame, it is not a historical simulation. It is a strategy game with an economic focus that uh, roughly refers to historical categories and places them in a fictional setting. The exploitation of the African continent and its people is not explicitly depicted within the gameplay. If you want to learn more about the underlying history, we recommend the following read, History of Modern Africa, 1800 to the Present, by Richard J. Reed, or Ride, however you pronounce his last name. So... That kind of gives you a thought process of where the game's coming from. It's one of those, like, it may be set here, but it's not actually historical. It's not, but you can't look at it and not think about it a little. It's, it's the LaCroix of colonialism. There's yes. an essence there. There is an essence there, but it's enough that you're like, hmm. This is uncomfortable. Exactly. Uh, but, but with putting that aside, talking about the gameplay itself, the way Mombasa is going to play is a very interesting system. And I think this is the part of Mombasa that stands out the most to me and is something I really enjoy. Uh, Starting the game off, you have three action slots and you'll have a hand of cards. You will pick three of those cards to place in your three action slots. Everybody reveals them at the same time. And then you take turns going around the table using an action based on what cards you put down. The cards can either be exploration cards, the bookkeeper, a gym merchant. I don't know if it's a gym or diamond merchant in the rules. I think it's diamond merchant. Uh, goods, which are either bananas, cotton, or coffee. I think that's all of them. So I think that's all the card types as well. Um, so what happens is, depending on what you put down, depends on what you do, whether it's buying more cards to add to your hand, that way you have more and later in the game better actions to do, or more powerful actions. You can uh, use your exploration cards to explore on the board. You can uh, invest in the company's stock. Make sure you hold more stock in the different four companies of the game. You can use your bookkeeper to put more books in your ledger and try to move your inkwell down in those books. I guess that kind of represents like we fulfilled these goals business-wise, so we're moving down. These are all the books we've completed. We've done that, I guess, thematically. But basically, there's a track for that. There's a track for your diamond mines, all that kind of stuff. Uh, There's also some bonus bonus actions you can take, like discarding a card to get money, uh, having, if you have the most bananas in your action cards, uh, when you take the bonus banana action, you can get more stock in a company, things like that. But what I like about it is you have to not only choose which cards to play, 
which you only get to play three every turn until you move far enough on the bookkeeping or diamond mine tracks to unlock the next two spaces. It's kind of a hard struggle to pick, like, well, what do I do? What do I focus on? How do I dedicate my time here? But I enjoy that. And what's even neater, those three cards that you put down are in a left, middle, and right slot. Once that turn is over, there are actually going to be three cards on the top of your little player board. You'll pick one of those up, and then the three bottom cards move straight up to the top of the board. I hope that makes sense visually. So bottom left goes to top left, bottom middle goes to top middle, bottom right goes to top right, and those cards stay there. At the end of every round, you'll pick another one of those stacks up. So the cards you place on the bottom will build tiny decks at the top, and you can I let one build to like four cards and then had a turn where I did exploration for like six points of it, which is a lot. I mean, that's a two-card, two-card, two-card. And so you can kind of pre-plan the later stages of the game early in an interesting way. But it also keeps you from doing the same thing over and over again because yes. you can't play. So whenever you're, you're uh, laying your books down, you know, you have to fulfill the requirements to move on to the next book. So maybe you need three coffees and a banana or four cottons and a person. And, you know, if you have multiple books that match the same criteria, then theoretically speaking, if you had three bananas and three cottons and all of your books took bananas and cottons, you can move up all three books in one turn. Mm hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's really powerful. But in splitting up the cards, not allowing you to pick up the uh, same resources each turn, it, it kind of puts one arm behind your back where you can't, you know, keep doing the same play over and over and over again. And you have to pre-plan. It's a game that really rewards pre-planning. It really does. Because if you put a, like, let's say a two-value coffee in the right bottom right action slot and a two-value coffee in the middle, then... Once those cards are used, both of those go to the top to different stacks. So when you pick a stack up, you won't get both of your coffees back. You'll get a single one of them. So it's, it is interesting because, yeah, you can't keep chaining. Then, then it incentivizes you, I feel like, to buy new cards to be able to use and try to keep that going. It's a very interesting card planning mechanic. And honestly, I think it's my favorite thing the game does because I haven't seen that before. That's something new to me. It's interesting to me. It causes you to make decisions every single turn, and it causes you to also think about the outcome of those decisions at a later date. If I want to do this next turn, which of these stacks, if I pick it up, can benefit me the most in doing so? And you you start to have these multiple decisions based off of simply where I played these cards. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that about it. One of the other big elements of this game is with these four companies around the board, they all have stocks. So that means there are tracks that you uh, move a little token up showing how many stocks you have in that company. As somebody explores, or uses their exploration points, it removes trading posts to put on the board. And every trading post that gets removed uncovers something, either blanks or a coin. That's the value of the company per stock. So as you move up the track, like at the end of the game last night, I think you had eight stock. You had seven. And I... You had six and I had seven. That's what it was. You had six stock in the red in Cape Town or Cape Cod or I don't remember. I think it's Cape Town, the red company. Uh, I know Cape Cod's Massachusetts. You had seven stocks. I had eight stocks. So I only beat you by nine points in that one stock, which if you weren't that high on the track, then I would have had like a massive amount of points. But there's four companies that you can do that and try to get stocks in each. And when you explore, you're not dedicated to a single company. You can pick any company to do that for. Instead of buying cards, you can raise your stocks in a company and you can spread it out between any of them because you're playing an investor in this game, not one of the companies itself. 
So that's kind of an interesting thing, but it led me and Haley last night to Haley trouncing me and me <laughs> sadly being very upset by it because, uh, and it's probably my one negative for this game outside of theming, which is I'm very much a multiplayer solitaire or direct conflict, right? I'm not a huge fan of direct conflict in games, but I would rather my actions directly influence yours or me do all my own shit and your stuff doesn't mess with me. But in this game, if you spend time exploring with the company and making their stock valuable, well, that just means everybody's going to jump in on what you've been working hard for and be able to get stock in that company to make a lot of points, which is what Haley did. Given, yes, in the process of expanding that company out onto the board, you are getting benefits that anybody else will miss out on. But in the end, you can just essentially mooch off other people's hard work by not mooching. I, I say that. It's just because I'm frustrated about it. And because I'm giving him a look. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, essentially, you can put a little, uh, you can put less work in than I did to have close to the same outcome, right? In that track. You can. I didn't, though, because I like my coffee, like my coffee was mm-hmm. as high on the track as your bananas. Yeah. It's just that I also tagged along on your bananas where you didn't also tag along on my coffee. So I had I had built one up as and I also built up the cotton as well. Um, so I had built up these other areas. Oh, oh, I see. Those aren't they're not directly tied to that. You're just thinking the bonus actions. Those are tied to the companies. Well, I meant like I also uh like I had you no know, put houses out for cotton, houses out for coffee. I had uh, Well what I'm saying is the houses aren't directly tied to the resource. They're just tied to the color. You put houses well, yeah. out for the white, and you put houses out for the orange. I know, but that's, I mean, but the orange is, quote unquote, the coffee area. The white is like the cotton area. Like, that's what it's, like, that's what the specials are kind of related to. Oh, because the, there's the four bonus actions, yeah. so the four resource types. Yeah. What was the last resource type for Mombasa, the black company? I don't remember. I really don't remember. Because they're only tied by bonuses, but anyway, we, so the the two, the white company, yeah. orange company, you had moved up some on the I tracks. had moved up, yeah, and, and the orange one, like, I had moved up just as much as you had yeah. to COD, the red one, it's just, or Cape Town, whatever, mm. but it's just that I had also tagged along on yours, so it's not that I was just waiting for Dalton to move up the track, and I just, like, no, rode his coattails. but the very last turn of the game, that's exactly what you did, was go, I'm gonna bump up the track as much as you, and but I was like, god damn it. Before the last turn, like, the third or fourth turn, I was already tied with you on that track. You were. I was hoping I could spend the money and that you were going to be doing something else and I could get a decent amount ahead and it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. Anyway, what it comes down to is <laughs> uh, I only don't appreciate that mechanic. Yeah. I, but this is a two-player game. Yeah. For me, personally, in a two-player game, that feels worse than in a four. Because mm-hmm. in a four-player game, if I start doing red, everyone jumps on red, cool. If someone starts doing white, everybody can turn and do white. But in a two-player game, it just feels like it's me versus you. So then if I do something and you start taking advantage and then I do something else and it feels like you take advantage rather than, you know what I mean? But I think part of that is as well, I was trying to do my own thing and not take advantage of what you were doing because I wanted to try to push myself ahead in other ways. And it just failed. In the end, I had a bad strategy, um, but it sucks and I don't like that. <laughs> I'm going to say something. I don't know if it's going to make you feel better or worse. Okay. Even if I would have not ridden, oh, you would have won. Up, I still would have won, even if I would yeah, not have pursued. That, the yeah, no, that Cape makes it. Town. That makes it worse. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> makes it worse. Yeah, because I know because she won with 188 points versus my 112, and that was with her gaining like 54, 54. points off of that track. So, so even if I would have got no points from that track, you still would have won. won. But I was hopeful in my brain without doing math. <laughs> uh, the problem is your uh, your book your bookkeeping track. 
you exploded that last turn. My book smarts. And ran up like three or four books, which took you up another like 20-some points. That was my biggest strategy was yeah. I... The first like two or three turns, I really didn't do a lot, but I was setting up to where yeah. uh, in, in three turns, I, I gained about 60 points in books because I would try to chain books together. Now, the game does only run seven rounds, so it's not like you have a ton of time for everything. So it is a game where you're going to end going, ah, oh, I didn't get to do everything I wanted, which I feel like that's most games of this style, but there is that. So, yes, I think in the end... um without going into too much detail of all some of the, you know, other extra stuff that you can do in the end, I do really enjoy the game. I just get frustrated at that part of the style. I think a four player game would feel better. Mm -hmm. I do. I think it would be a little easier to manage. Uh, also though, I get frustrated when you win every time, which is why <laughs> the last ad, I was so excited to make that song. If you have not listened to my social media ad from last episode, episode 97 about Oracle of Delphi, you should go check it out because it's freaking great. And I had a good laugh making that. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway. It was great. It was great. Right. Anyway, yes, I think that uh, I do really enjoy the game. I think it was really neat and interesting. I enjoyed that the tracks weren't just, aside from the investing in the companies, you could just strictly spin your resource points to do that. However, like the diamond track took extra work. The bookkeeping track took extra work. Uh, it, if you're trying to up the value of a company, it takes a little, like everything takes a little work, but the main mechanic of playing the cards to do it is what I liked the most. Yeah. So in general, I think it's a very good game. I see why people like it so much, but that comes down to the theme being bad. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. But before we get into the theme, let's crack open another beer. So the second beer for this episode is Trop Top Passion Fruit Pale Ale from Mother's Brewing Company, which is out of uh, Springfield, Missouri. I remember going into that brewery and hanging on the wall as you're checking out is the uh, layoff letter of the founder. Like he has the letter framed where he got laid off from work. And then that's whenever he started the Mother's Brewing Company. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh, so this says, Tropical aromas of guava and citrus hops, juicy passion fruit, light malt sweetness, and refreshing dryness. Uh, let me see if I can read. I don't... the I like the look of the can, but it's a little tough to read. Pounds of hops used for bitterness is two. Pounds of hops used for flavor and aroma is 120. And total pounds of hops per 60-barrel batch is 122. And this is courtesy of our friend, Cody. This is courtesy of Cody. His family's from Missouri, and they go through Missouri, I feel like, decently often. Mm -hmm. Not super often. Go to Bolivar. They go to Bolivar, which is where his family's from. No, I was really concerned about pairing this beer with the Belgian beer, so I didn't think the flavors would match. But being that this one's tropical and the last one tasted like that uh, pineapple gummy, I think this is going to be a, a good follow-up. I always hate it, like, whenever we pick out our beers. I try to pick out two beers that kind of go together because I do not want to have a sour followed by a stout because those two flavors do not go well on the palate. Right. You kind of have to pick what you do. Yeah. So I was a little apprehensive about this pairing, but I think ultimately by the descriptors, it's going to go pretty well. And this is a 6% alcohol by volume. Blessed. Mm, smells like pineapple, but this one smells like actual pineapple, not the lifesaver gummy pineapple. It's supposed to be passion fruit. Well, it smells it's, like pineapple. It's very, it's very golden blonde, cloudy. It does smell like pineapple. It does dry out at the back end. 
It tastes like that uh, Lilikoi, that, uh, what is it? The Hawaiian Sun Lilikoi. We've had the strawberry okay. Lilikoi on the podcast, but we just had mm-hmm. the Lilikoi a couple weeks ago. Bear with me here. Huh? This might be getting a little too adult. Oh, God. It won't be getting too adult. Uh, is this PG-13? or It's, where, P- it's where probably PG-13. Where are we going with this? I'm. Is mm-hmm. it going to make the beer unappetizing? No. It tastes like a CBD gummy. Oh, my God. I guess that's not bad. CBD is not anything. So yeah. my freaking mom uses CBD gummies sometimes. Um, I don't, they don't help me, but this is what it tastes like. It freaking tastes like that to me. Tastes like a CBD gummy, yeah. Which is weird. And it's only in the aftertaste. It really does. Oh, my God. It's like that brief, like split second aftertaste is a CBD gummy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I get from it, which is weird. Aside from that, though, it is nice and good. It's fruity, refreshing, and it does dry out the back. It does have like a very dry finish, which is strange. Like my mouth's not watering. It's not like it almost feels like I'm, I need another drink now. But that's pretty good. Wild. It's not bad at all. But with that beer being done, I, I do like that from mothers. With that beer being done, our topic today is retheming of games or retheming. Because as we discussed with Mombasa, uh, the theme's a little pro- uh, problematic. It deals a lot with the diamond trade. And there's a documentary series called Explained on Netflix, which yes. comes out every Friday. They're like 20, 25-minute episodes. Yeah, and they had one recently on the diamond trade, um, specifically in the late 1800s, early 1900s in South Africa. And uh, it kind of goes into the history of diamond mining as well as the atrocities that it inspired, like the uh, blood diamonds, the wars over them, you know, people being murdered, people being exploited for the diamond trade. And so it's especially... We we just watched that episode a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, coming into this game with that further understanding of what the diamond trade really did to the continent of Africa and is continuing to do, it was difficult to enjoy the theme of this game. I mean, on top of that, it's colonizing, which is not a good thing mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah. You know, you have all of these French names. You have these English names. Like, those aren't the names of these places in Africa. Right. They're the names they were bestowed upon them yeah but it's just really i don't know like the more that i play games and the more that we reflect on the history that is still affecting today it's really difficult to enjoy games with themes like this and i think that's completely understandable Uh, when i was playing the game it was one of those things where i was wrapped up in trying to figure out how to do good how to do this and that so the theme to me, didn't come out. This is one of those games where um, the theme does not feel directly tied to mechanic. Like, it doesn't. It does. Like, in terms of that, like, if you took it out of Mombasa and just put, uh, I don't know, we're fish in a coral reef trying to find new homes, it would, you could make the exact same game with very minor modifications of, the, it would just be the theme. You could tweak it and be done, and it would be a different game with a non like non problematic theme very easily. So for me, uh, the theme didn't stand out as badly because to me it wasn't as in your face. But that might be just because of how focused I was because I was having a hard time figuring out how to lose. <laughs> well, it was very difficult for me because like if you if you notice on the cards, mm-hmm. the cards are mostly white people. No, it's uh, the unless very, they're the workers carrying bananas. Unless they're the workers or, carrying and the, and yeah. then at that point, they're not on the cards. They are in the background. Correct. They yeah. and it's the the main which you don't you're not assigned a character or anything like that, but like the book worker. 
It's a white dude with blonde hair and glasses. Yeah. And it's the same for uh, like the Explorer. It's a white dude with a brown mustache. Yeah. Like it's very much a the white people are the central characters in this, which makes it for I, sure. I know that they said in the description, like they were careful to say, like this is not supposed to be historical. Like if you want to learn about it, yeah, here's this. But it's it's hard not to tie in the atrocities, even though you're just taking sure. parts from mm-hmm. the history. It's still there. And it's still, in a way, it feels like it's still being exploited. Oh, 100%. It's it's one of those things where, I mean, to try to make a, an example that's easy for my brain to come up with on the spot, uh, if you made a game about something in early 1940s Germany, but it had nothing to do with Nazis, there's no way you couldn't say these bits and pieces are obviously, you know what I mean? There's right. a, There's a connection to it that you can't look past. Like, it's never going to be void of that. Right. You, you can't completely pull something like that out of a theme when it's so connected. Right. And I think that that's the thing here in Mombasa. Yes, the theme is applied pretty lightly, but like no matter what, if you're like, yeah, it's about, you know, investing in companies that are uh, expanding into Africa and mining for diamonds in the, at this time period, then immediately your reaction is probably like, oh. Because right now the light theme feels like whitewashing. It kind of does. It kind of does. I mean, I'm glad they addressed it up front, front of the rule book, game and history. It's not tiny. It's not in the back page. That's better than not addressing it. And I'm glad that they even said we're not depicting slavery. We're not depicting the atrocities. So they at least tell you that. But it does. It feels like we still want to use this, but we're just not going to do that. FYI, here you go. Have fun. And it's like it could be better. (laughs) Which. You can think about, there's a million different ways to show land management. There's a million different ways to show investing. Like, there's a million different ways to, you know, show learning or go up different tracks. And so, I think what Delton said, like, this game could exist without the theme. So, why use the theme? Exactly. And part of that is, you never know what the designer designed in mind. And publishing companies, and I've been told this before, and I know you have too, we've talked about that before, that a publishing companies have final say on what the theme is of a game. So they can change things around to make them their whatever they want. However, who knows how it initially began, things like that. And part of the reason that I've chose Mombasa now to do, and part of the reason, I know I you know alluded to that in the game talk, and part of the reason we wanted to do re-theming as the topic is not only because this is a theme that, while not being... Uh, you know, a trying to be a historical reenactment, it's still problematic and it still has ties to things that are terrible and really don't need to be in board games unless they're being presented with a super historical con. Like, you know what I mean? If it's for a, the purpose of learning, exactly. If it's for the purpose of learning or something, it would be a different, a different idea coming out, a different topic. But, but this is flavor, exactly. And so, one of the reasons I wanted to do this game though is earlier this year. The some people, and I don't remember their channel name, did a video on a designer series of Alexander Fister. They talked about Mombasa. And in the video, they talked about the theme being an issue, which I, you know, again, that's what we're talking about. And Alexander Fister actually commented on that uh, himself, the designer, and even said that he wasn't a fan of the theme in the beginning and didn't want it. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. We can, you know, hope that that's the best intention, that yes, that was the idea. Maybe he had a different theme and they tweaked it and moved it to here. I don't know. But 
somebody put it on Board Game Geek thread. It was early January, and he actually commented again and said, yes, I really, really would like to change the theme and also add new stuff. This might happen this year. Unfortunately, I can't say any more, so this will be my last post in the thread. That sounds like something's under the works. So everyone is pretty confident we will be getting a retheming of Mombasa, which hopefully means with the way the industry's going, with the way people are starting to say we're not, we don't want colonization games, we don't want games that skirt addressing the real issues, things like that, it's likely that we're going to be getting a retheme of Mombasa, taking these game mechanics and maybe a few small changes and putting them on something fresh and clean that will be easy for everyone to learn. So part of, the, uh, part of what I wanted to talk about is, would this be a game we would consider purchasing the new version, or is this a game that doesn't, you know, isn't good enough to warrant a new version anyway? And I think there's multiple things to consider. You know, is the game good enough? But also, you know, was it so bad that you don't want to support it in the future? Because I, I know I, yeah. I always go back to Sky Traders. I just like crap all over Sky Traders. I'm sorry. I'm going to do that forever. Sky Traders, <laughs> the theme was so bad the graphic design was so racist and so sexist i don't care if they rethemed it to the most adorable cat game in the world i will never buy that game yeah. i will not support that company i will not support whose ever idea it was to oh, it, have it was that a fantasy game. flight game oh it was trash i'm sorry <laughs> that was trash yeah and so if that was rethemed i would not no yeah. i'm sorry it's burned. now mombasa you know <sighs> that's that's hard because you know they were mindful in the description. They were mindful, you know, learn more about it this way. They are recognizing that it's bad and that they might be doing a retheme. And so, person for me, I would consider getting a new one. I hope the theme was better. Yeah. I did enjoy the game. They were mindful in the beginning. Was it perfect? No. But also, that's me. I'm also coming at this from a yeah. white perspective. Of course. And so, I can't speak for everyone. And if others disagree and say, like, no, this is as bad as Sky Traders, I'm going to totally respect that. Yeah. Like, this is just my perspective. I'm, oh, oh I'm yeah. It's going to be up to the individual. Yes. 100%. But Sky Traders can burn in hell. <laughs> and that's fine because <laughs> they, they did have some problems for sure. Uh, I do think because this one, uh, Mombasa is rated very highly on Board Game Geek. It's a very beloved game by a lot of people that enjoy heavy Euro games. Um, so I could see that a, a retheme, there's going to be a lot of people who won't have a problem. A lot of people will buy the older copy because it's likely cheaper. They're going to buy the older copy unless the any, because he said also add new stuff. If he tweaks mechanics a bit and improves the game, it will sell. But then here becomes the big question. I guess maybe even begs the question. Are they going to do this because it's right or because of money? Because mm. yes, board game designers and board game companies don't make a fortune. However, if a game like Mombasa is this big, I mean, it really is. I think on Board Game Geek, it's it might still be in the top 100, and it's been there since it came out. I mean, it's it's a solid game. People really like it. But there's people that have avoided buying it because of the theme. Those people will now give the game a shot if they feel that they it's justified and that they truly have tried to right the wrong of doing a, a not-so-great theme. And so there's going to be people that will stick with the old one, and there's going to be people who buy the new one. So is it strictly that viewpoints are now being changed? People are starting to realize colonialism in games and stuff like that is not really a theme people want, isn't great, or is it that they're seeing an opportunity to make money? I don't know. I'm going to be hopeful that it's not for the money. I mean, obviously, everything in the 
every board game that comes out, money has to be a part of that conversation, right? Right. No matter what you do in your life, if you're making money for it, that you have to consider, I want to make a living. But I'm hoping that this is all coming from a good place of people still like my game, but people aren't playing it because they don't like the theme. I want to let them enjoy it and also correct that I think this is now wrong. Whether they thought that in the beginning or not, minds can change. And as long as they do right from there on with a new version, then I think that that's, you know, appropriate. I think that that's fine, but I'm going to be hopeful that it's for the right reasons. But I think that also comes back to, you know, our power as consumers. Yeah. If, if we don't buy the problematic games, which we kind of we kind of did, but I don't think we realized how bad it was at the time. But if we don't buy the, which that's no excuse, was we did buy it. Um, it's no excuse. Part of it too, though, is if you don't discover it for yourself, nobody around has this on their board game library to play. Yeah. At a cafe. This isn't one of the games you can just pull down and play at Edmund Unplugged. Right. I had to either go online and watch videos or I had to play it myself to truly get the feel and truly be able to analyze, okay, this is how I feel about it. Because there are games that just from the cover, you're going to say no, or you're going to say, I'm not sure. And the yeah. I'm not sure takes further diving. And also this was years ago that I bought it. Right. And like, you're not going to, I mean, you, you see a board game and you don't automatically... Maybe we should look at the theme and be like, okay, what is what is this theme? What does this mean? Like we just saw, oh, this is highly rated on Board Game Geek. Let's buy it. Yep. But I mean that that goes to show also as consumers, the purchasing power that we have can make changes. For sure. I mean, so I'm about to get like real technical here for a second, but we ultimately do kind of control what goes on in the market. If we don't buy it, it's not made. Yeah. And so, you know, if we're not buying the sky traders of the board game industry. If we are not, you know, buying these uh, games that are really sexist, really racist, use colonialism, they're eventually, theoretically speaking, not going to be made because we're, we are in a very capitalistic society. And yes, there are considerations that I know can make us make games more popular or there's also, you know, uh, systemic issues that kind of maintain the status quo. But, you know, the power that we do have is, you know, what companies are we going to support and what games are we going to support and what games are we going to invest in? Yeah. And so I think we just need to keep that in mind. Just because the game's out there doesn't mean we have to buy it. We did buy this and I feel kind of bad about it. And I also, like I said, it did not feel good to win as a colonialist. And I really kind of don't want to play this again because it didn't feel very good. Well, one of the things to keep in mind, too, and I, I, I say this a lot and I say it with good intention. Um whoever put the theme on the game is not the only person that benefits from the game as well. That's true. We're supporting the editors, the artists, the writers, the publishers, the people making the printing who are making a living based on this game. Yes, we don't want to see this. And given I bought this old, I don't remember if I bought it used. I think I bought it new, but like it was on sale. I don't remember any of that. But like now, if somebody came out with a new game and this was brand new, I would say no, but people change. Our, our, our minds change. Our ideas change. We discover things about ourselves. We're just now 30. My coworker Wait, was talking about, I, yeah, that's true. You'll be 30 soon. Uh, my coworker was talking about being 23 and how different she was from 21. And I said, just wait. When you hit 27, 25 year old you is going to feel like a child. You grow and you change. And we're in that critical stage. When I was buying a lot of these board games, that wasn't on my mind. I wanted to play a fun board game. People said this was good. I'm going to buy it. The more, the older I've gotten and the more I'm a little in touch with. I don't want to say society because I don't do anything, but the more I'm in touch with like listening to people and talking to people and realizing, oh, we need to be better as humanity. It starts to point these things out to me. 
So as a person, I've grown in a way in which Mombasa is not a game I would buy today. Right. You know, there's there's games I have to I have to choose and decide. I said the most recent the most recent acquisition that could be troublesome is Maracaibo that we did. And Maracaibo, speaking of Alexander Fisher and Retheme, is fixing to get an expansion called the Uprising, where it turns the tables to where you play the indigenous peoples, I believe, of the Caribbean rather than the colonialized colonial colonizers. Thank you. From England, France, and Spain. So it kind of starts to shift that outlook. Um it just takes growing, changing, learning, and finding your own line. And whether that's perfect or not, that's up for you to decide. And, you know, not everyone's going to be the same, but it's just try to do better. And I think that's where we're at in life right now, right? Yeah. My board game purchasing now is going to be uh, a game like this I probably wouldn't pick up right now. Yeah, I would want to play it because it's Alexander Fister and people say it's good. And I might play it somewhere like a BGG Con or something, but I wouldn't go out and spend $50 on it. Right. It's just one of those. It's hard because I think, you know, the older that we get, the more we are invested in more values-based living. Yeah. Like we're we're finding ourselves not only, you know, learning about what's important to us, but learning about, you know, what's important to society. Correct. And our, and our place in it. And, you know, this is just a board game, but, you know, in investing in themes like this and pursuing things like this, you know, what does that maintain in society? That this is okay. Yeah. And I think that... This is just a time for this is th- th- this conversation went like a lot longer and a lot more deep than I was expecting. I thought it might. I really did. Yeah. And, you know, this this game is a good learning experience for both of us, too. For sure. For sure. It really is. And this is one of those things that when a game like this happens. It makes me appreciate when it's done right. Yes. And I know that I look to Pax Pamir a lot with Cole Worley because Pax Pamir did such a good job kind of turning on its head that outlook, presenting it from a different perspective. I'm very excited for his next game, which I backed on Kickstarter, you know, early this year, like January or something, uh, John Company 2nd Edition, which is about the East India Trading Company. And the way he presents his ideas and the way he wants to present it for an educational purpose, but also try to turn the game to where it's not promoting certain ideas. I, I just, it's one of those, he's one of those designers I want to support in his endeavors to do it right. And so, so it's just one of those things. But yes, uh, this was a little bit deeper talk than I thought it would be, but uh, I also kind of half expected it. But I'm glad we had the talk. I think it's worth discussing. And uh, Mombasa's, it's a good game. And I'm glad it's getting a retheme because I think more people will be able to discover it and also like it. And I'm glad to see companies that are these European companies, which tend to be the highest uh, percentage of companies that are making games like this. They tend to come from Europe. Seems to be kind of the trend. Uh, It's nice to see them seem to be starting to willing to make a change and understanding that we want that change. Workers own the means of production. There you go. Workers also can determine the market. Yes. Use your purchase power wisely. In this manifesto, I will. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so that brings me to my next question, Delton. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. So what is your question for us this episode so we can wrap up? What board game would you re-theme and what would you re-theme it to? That's a really tough question because, you know, I 
the games I have, I enjoy, and I tend not to be like, huh, that's a really tough one. Because I'm trying to think of a game that I'm just like, either the theme is something I want to be different so I can play it, or a theme that just to me kind of goes blech, and I would like to see a different version so it would be improved upon. Uh, that's a really tough one. Do you have an answer for that? I do. What is it? So you know the board game Festival of a Thousand Cats? Yep. I would retheme it to Festival of a Million Cats. Uh, okay. That's not a real answer, but <laughs> I guess I'll take it. <laughs> More kitties. Oh my God. I don't think we need that. That's, a, <laughs> yes, we do. that's an unnecessary amount. <laughs> a lies of propaganda. That is still one of the cutest games in the world to me. It really I'm is. So I glad. Just, I just love you can drink, if you drink too much sake, you throw up your fish. You throw up your fish. Like, if you drink just enough sake, your points go up like crazy. If you drink too much, then you're going to throw up everything. Right. I think, for me, I'm going to say Istanbul. Istanbul's a very good game. It's like, it's like a good level between introductory and like intermediate. I feel like it rides that middle ground of adding a little bit more than an introductory game but not being too complicated. But, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, 88 depictions of people in this game and they're all men. That's kind of an issue. We literally and have not played this game since we discovered that, since we realized that. We haven't, and it's a great game. I even, I think I even have Mocha and Bakshish, the expansion that adds coffee. And uh, I think it was Shut Up and Sit Down that pointed, that pointed that out to me. And they talked to the design, the publisher company, and they even said that, like, well, their idea was in Istanbul, their idea of society was that uh, men run the businesses and stuff like that, that the women don't have that big of a part. But even the background characters just walking around are also men. And it's like, it, it's not just men in the country of Turkey. There are women there, I promise you. There are even children there. There are no children. There are no elderly. It's all the same age, like middle-aged man. And uh, I would love to see that rethemed to something good because it's a fun game. It is a solid, good game. But I just haven't touched it because like, I have to find a line of where I'm going to play something or where I'm not going to play something. And I haven't come around to playing Istanbul because every time I look at it, I go, yeah. And then I look at something else and go, yeah. And that's where I'm at. So do better. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the theme that, of this episode. Do better. It's, it's for us too. It's for everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a learning process. You got to find what you're comfortable with and your gaming group is comfortable with. And I think that that's where your own line is. There's always room for improvement. Always room for improvement. That's probably should be my final say. <laughs> Always room for improvement. Keep learning, my friends. Progress, not perfection. That's my personal motto. Progress, not perfection. It shouldn't be, but it is. Uh, man, well, I think that that really wraps up everything we wanted to discuss today. I feel like the episode went a little bit long, likely, but I know there's some gaps where we had to do stuff. So we'll see what the length is when I'm done editing. That's what she said? Sure. Yeah. I guess so. But yeah, so thank you so much for tuning in to the Malthouse Games podcast, episode number 98. Hopefully this gave you a little outlook on Mombasa. And if you're like me, you're looking forward to the retheme. You want to see what they've done differently and hope it's one worth picking up so we can get it on the table, test out how it plays, and hopefully play with four people. That way I don't feel so butthurt about <laughs> you mooching off of my progress. Who won? Shut up. Mar <laughs> Margie won, okay? Oh, she's asleep. She's so cute. A little sausage. Little big sausage. 
But anyway, yeah, so thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you have any questions for us, any comments, concerns, you can always send us an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also send us anything about games you think we need to look at, topics you want us to cover, questions you want us to answer. Or if you know that there's a beer that distributes to Oklahoma and you're like, hey, this is my favorite beer. Can you guys please, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Let us know and we'll go find a place that sells it and pick it up. So that's always something as well. You can also find us on social media at Malthouse Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, and you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is as of right now, even though we don't have passes, we are planning BGGCon in November in Dallas. It's kind of going to depend, I think, on if they even still hold it with the Delta variant. We're not 100% sure. Um, we're hopeful. We're cautiously optimistic. We are cautiously optimistic. We have a hotel reserved with our good friend Alan, supporter of the podcast. So we've got our spot there. Uh, we'll be looking at passes here in the next couple weeks after we finish refinancing the house. And once, uh, I don't know, we're just keeping an ear out. We're going to keep our own feelers out, see how everything goes, see how we feel, and uh, make that decision more official or i guess uh make a more definitive decision on it later on but for now we are planning that if that's something you will be attending yes if you are you know feel free to reach out to us on social media maybe we can play a game together for sure have a beer together 100 percent. have fun together because we're gonna be playing a lot of games and they can also have postmates deliver beer in texas so amen to that we will be getting that done for sure is there anything else we're missing I we already did so. our patreon shout outs we've done all that other stuff. I've got to go do a load of dishes, and then I'm going to start sorting some cards, I think. Yeah. Is my most likely plan. So I guess that works. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.